Welcome back, everyone. I am Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. My next chapter describes our backpacking trip in the California High Sierras. The trip was in the middle of summer, yet we were glad we packed an ice axe. Otherwise, we'd never make it over Lamarck Glacier into Evolution Valley, a prehistoric place one expected to see dinosaurs. Here's Mary's Mountain Song to help you focus. Now that we're in the mountains, we need to go fishing. I've got a tale to tell, but I'm going to wait and let Joe go first. 
I was fly fishing on the ham branch of the Sassajewisset River last summer. And I'd done pretty good with a little twenty-two nymph why I caught dinner and breakfast besides. And I was just about to head on back the farm when I rounded a corner in the river and there on the other side was one of them New York fellas getting all rigged up to do some spin fishing. Well, he no sooner cast out his line hit the water than the black flies commenced to swam round his head something fearsome. <laughs> he was swatting and flailing after them flies and I had to laugh. And he looked across the river at me and said, Mister, what's so damn funny? Well, says I, the last time I saw a swarm of flies like that, they was hovering round a hoss's ass. <laughs> Why are you calling me a hoss's ass, he said, real indignant, you know. And I said, no, no, sir, I'm not. But you know, you can't fool them flies. I'd never hiked to a higher altitude than I did when Martha and I took our brothers and sisters on an eight-day backpacking trip over Lamarck Coal into Darwin Canyon and Evolution Valley. Chapter 15 Lamarck Call Backpack Trip That summer, Martha arranged a backpacking trip to spend three days in the eastern Sierras, hiking out of a trailhead near Bishop, California. She had done a similar hike a few years ago with her Girl Scout troop and wanted to introduce me to topography. I expanded the trip to eight days and invited family and friends on the outing as well. Over the next few months, we outlined a trip using a topographical map of the area. We would hike over Lamarck Call in the eastern Sierras. With our siblings, we got six more people to accompany us on this adventure. We planned the menus and went shopping for food. All the participants met in the employee break room at the vet hospital one evening to weigh the gear and ingredients so everyone carried their fair share of the load. We divvied up the food and instructed everyone to meet back at the hospital parking lot at 6 a.m. Saturday morning with their backpacks ready to go. There was too much gear for eight people to get everyone and their gear packed into one van. So, four people rode in my Toyota wagon and four people went in Brother Mike's van. Five or six hours later, we pulled off Highway 395 to search for our trailhead at North Lake. Just as we were getting out our map and compass to see where to head, Brother Rick announced he forgot to bring his sleeping bag. How could you do this? I was incredulous, considering the extreme planning we had done to make sure every piece of gear would be there for us. We were hiking in August, but the elevations were high enough to warrant bringing winter jackets to keep us warm. I decided Rick would be given everybody's coat at bedtime and it was up to him to stay as warm as he could. He was sharing a tent with Mike, so possibly the two of them could figure out a better heating system. We later found out this warmth was factored in. Both Mike and Rick each brought a bottle of Jack Daniel's whiskey in their backpacks. The North Lake Trailhead is 9,400 feet. Our trip over Lamarck Call took us up to 12,900 feet. A call is a depression between two mountain peaks. It is higher than a valley, but easier to pass through than climbing either of the two adjacent mountains. We were pressed for time and opted not to spend a pre-adjustment overnight at this nearly two-mile height change from home. It would be better to come a day early to allow the body time to physiologically acclimate to the stresses of keeping itself alive 
at a mile and a half high. It's not an undoable feat, but one that needs more prepping than a six-hour drive. Because of this, we were easily winded as we trekked our way toward the call. I pulled out the map. The route was inked in, and I needed to coordinate my compass settings with the physical landmarks to chart a way up the mountain. There were no other hikers we could discuss a route with, so Martha and I shot a compass course as best we could. This was inaccurate, however, because we both failed to remember to take into account the magnetic declination on the map. This magnetic declination is the deviation that occurs on a map between true north and magnetic north. It changes depending on where you are in the country, and you have to correct the route by altering the magnetic declination to fit the particular area. We had not done this calculation, and our hiking trail was off about 12 degrees from where it was supposed to be, taking us on a harder and longer route along the face of the mountain instead of near the bottom. This ended up costing us time and energy. If we had not been so paranoid about the accuracy of our trail, we could have eyeballed the valley and seen an easier way. But the terrain was foreign and the crew was new, so we stuck to the map coordinates. Two hours behind schedule, about three in the afternoon, we finally made it to the bottom of Lamarck Call. We looked up to see if the top was in view. It wasn't. All we saw was a giant ice sheet going up into the sky until it dropped from sight. The entire mountain approach was covered in snow and ice, and it was the only way in the snow. Because of the steep sides and large boulders, we couldn't see a pathway along the rocks outside of the ice sheet. We would have to walk up the icy face of the mountain. Martha and I prepared for possible ice fields. I pulled out a pair of crampons, which are one-inch long spikes that strap to your shoes and give you the bite necessary to walk up an ice sheet. We also packed a length of rope and an ice axe. Rick and I walked and picked our way up the icy face, carving out a landing spot every 60 feet, where we threw the rope down to the others and helped bring them up to the current landing spot. We repeated this maneuver four or five times until we reached the top of the cull. Dust was starting to settle, but we could make out the dramatic change in topography as we scanned the horizon in front of us. Below us lay Darwin Canyon, and further away was Evolution Valley. There were no trees here as far as we could see, just snow and mountains. Massive granite peaks marched away into the distance. Nothing grew higher than a few inches in this arctic alpine climate zone of forever coldness. Gigantic boulders were strewn haphazardly down the Darwin side of the cull. I felt the canyon and valley were aptly named. Mike wanted to call the place Dinosaur Land. After working his way to the summit, Brother Tim walked over to the side and threw up. The combination of extreme altitude, haphazard mountaineering, and snowy ascent was too much for him. Sister Jackie did the same thing when she made it to the top. We hiked into Darwin's Canyon only a few hundred feet below the call before we made camp for the night. It was far away from our charted destination. Cooking a quick dinner, we erected the tents and fell asleep at 12,000 feet above sea level. That first day was the hardest. Each day after became easier. Abandoning our meticulous compass readings, we used the map topography to chart our way. The map shows the mountain peaks and, once these were identified, we charted a path between them. We walked south from Darwin Lakes to Evolution Lake, where we found a campsite. At Evolution Lake, we intersected with the John Muir Trail but never did run into anyone else while on our trip. Next, we followed Evolution Creek north as it emptied from Evolution Lake into Evolution Valley, on its way to become the San Joaquin River in Central California. The trail through Evolution Valley is flat and the elevation is low enough to support forests and meadows. We spent Monday and Tuesday hiking down the valley and scheduled a rest day for Wednesday. All we did was bathe, eat, and recuperate from our first four days. 
Martha and I had planned a side trip, but no one wanted to go. Thursday was the turnaround point of our odyssey. We began to focus on home. Continuing down Evolution Creek until it intersected with Paiute Creek, we turned east to follow Paiute Creek to its origin 3,000 feet up the mountain. It was a climb our toughened bodies performed more smoothly. Friday, we continued climbing, losing all the trees and camping near a few ice-cold lakes, aptly named Upper and Lower Golden Trout Lakes. Somehow they were stocked with trout. There were so few insects that catching these fish was the easiest fishing I had ever done in my life. Saturday morning, we had four hours of hiking to do to get back to our trailhead. Still climbing as we left Trout Lakes, we traveled up a rocky boulder-strewed trail all the way to Paiute Pass. The landscape changed back to the icy wonderland of Lamarck Call, another eastern slope with slippery boulders and rocks encased at the bottom of the frigid glacier. This time, though, we looked at the ice with excitement instead of trepidation. We had the odds in our favor now. During the week, we acclimated to the altitude, whipped soft bodies into excellent physical condition, emptied the packs of all the dense food, and we were going downhill this time. The snowy ice was pure white on top and a dark, pure blue color underneath. We slid down it easily. The magnificence of the moment forged an unforgettable memory in me. As the elevation decreased and the snow receded, the most massive boulders showed their warm, rocky heads. We maintained our downhill speed by hopping down the bigger rocks like mountain goats. Further down, we encountered hikers who were just starting the arduous trek up the mountain. We waved and smiled knowingly at them. They were naive young'uns, just as we had been only days before. Now we were tested, we passed, and we were superior. I spent fall, winter, and spring of that year working full-time as a radiology technician at the pet hospital. I still took morning bike trips and occasional scuba dives while I waited for word about my vet school application. My first application was rejected. They cited too little animal experience. Now I was finishing a full year of full-time work at a pet hospital. What more experience would they want? In April, I received a letter informing me the veterinary school wanted to interview me. I called Glenn and asked him if I could come up the night before the interview and sleep at his place. He was the person I replaced at Grand Avenue. I arrived in the late afternoon. Glenn walked me over to the grocery and bought us steaks to grill and beer to celebrate my achievement. The next day, Dr. Gorley and Dr. Koneko two of the doctors on staff of the veterinary school, interviewed me. Dr. Gorley taught small animal surgery, and Dr. Koneko, clinical pathology. I felt I did well during my interview, went home, and waited for the final letter sometime in June. Alan and Betsy, classmates at UCI, also working at Grand Avenue, had interviews as well. They were waiting too. Martha and Patty had another year of studies to go at UCI, so they didn't send in applications. I suspect all the acceptance and rejection letters are sent out on the same day. I read my letter after getting home from work on a Thursday. I went to work the next day and asked Alan if he had gotten a letter. He told me yes, he was accepted. I said, me too. We found Betsy and learned she was going to be part of the UCD class of 1982 as well. Classes started September of 1978. In four more years, we would achieve the goal we had worked toward for the last five years. For myself, I knew I had worked hard and studied hard. I had fretted, become anxious, lost sleep, made stupid mistakes, and yet I never lost sight of my goal. And now the target was in my hands because I had wholly and earnestly earned it. I started veterinary school September 1978 and graduated in June 1982. End of chapter.
I don't recall seeing the prehistoric beasts, but now, 40 years later, I see them in my mind. You can too. I've inserted dinosaurs into a picture of the alpine wasteland on my website blog called Evolution Valley. Go to jeadvm.com. The dinosaur blog will be on the front page for a week. If it's no longer there, you can still find it in my blogs by searching for Evolution Valley. Thanks, Joe, and thank you, Brian Ortiz, for lending me your voice to my narrative. You bring my memories to life. Thanks also to my dear wife, Mary McGregor, and friends for the music. Your songs quicken my focus, warm my heart, and bring a smile to my face. And thank you folks for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. I've included pictures too. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick My Books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book as well as an 11-disc audiobook set or can be downloaded from the audiobook sites iTunes and Amazon. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. Tune in next week to follow more tales of the soon-to-be ADHD veterinarian. Thanks for listening.